This is the Mission Matters Podcast Show, where our goal is to engage, encourage, and equip Christians to live on mission daily. To learn more about the show, visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash missionmatters.org or sign up for our newsletter online at missionmatters.org. And now, without further ado, let's listen in to today's conversation. All right, well, welcome to today's episode of Mission Matters. I'll be your host today. My name's Charlie Zahari, and today I'm joined with a special guest. His name's Troy Cooper. Troy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Charlie. All right, Troy, um, one of the things that we like to do to start this off is uh, just kind of have you give a, you know, a 30,000-foot picture of what it is that uh, you're doing right now. So could you explain your ministry? Um, tell us uh, the name of your ministry and uh, what you know what the the major facets of what you guys are trying to do. Yeah, Charlie, um, we are we are the Coopers. Uh, my wife Rachel and I and our six children, uh, Maya is eleven, and Malachi, Isaiah, Tessa, and Lucy, and then Ezra is six month old. And we're we're a family that's serving on mission here in South Florida among the ninety six percent unchurched and. Uh, we are we're serving through a local church down here, a Southern Baptist Church, as uh, as missionaries, um, planting churches that multiply and equipping churches to do the same. And we also uh, have a, a leadership role with uh, E3 Partners organization on the U.S. team. All right. So could you just go into a little bit more detail? Um, it sounds like it's a, a church planning um gospel sharing type ministry uh what what would you say is the vision statement for uh the ministry that you're a part of yeah our, our vision is to uh, uh equip believers to engage lostness and um to really to with a with strategy to multiply healthy disciples and healthy churches among unreached communities all right so one of the things that i find interesting and I, normally the stories that come out of this are, are pretty engaging is, you know, how, can, maybe you can tell us a little bit about your past. What did God do in your life um, to get you prepared for the role that he's doing through you today? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I still feel like I'm not fully prepared. <laughs> um, but uh, that's just a testimony of how God uses the lowly things to shame the wise. Um, yeah. My, my honestly, my life, my adulthood has been God putting us in roles um, that we had no aspirations for, and that He's just equipped us as He's moved us. And uh, so, I was a uh, a pre med major who ended up answering a call into ministry, and I taught for a few years in a Christian school. And then I was a youth pastor for twelve years, and uh, loved discipling students, and uh, discovered that I could teach and love teaching and and for 10 of those 12 years, I was mentored and discipled by a missionary named Steve Parlato. He was a missionary our church supported. And when he was home, he, he would just pour into me. The Lord told him to invest in me. And, and uh, that's probably the only reason he did it. Because for 10 years, he was equipping me and these principles for how to make disciples and multiply churches like they had done in communist Laos for, for many years. And I wasn't using them at all. I wasn't taking what I was learning and, and practicing it for about nine of those years. And, um, and then, uh, you know, we, we were, our student ministry program was, um, you know, we got a lot of pats on the back because at that time they would measure youth ministry based on how many of your kids would go off into college and, and stay in the faith. And 
on into adulthood because so many kids are abandoning the faith in college. And so we, we saw a lot of kids, um, you know, go off into college and walk with Christ and on into adulthood and which is awesome. But, um, we weren't seeing a lot of fruit in the area of impacting lostness. And, uh, so in 2011, I went on a missions trip to Laos with my mentor and I saw the fruit of what they were doing and how, um, I mean, individuals and, and, and households and entire communities were coming to faith and forming, you know, small groups and churches, uh, that were turning around and reaching other, um, tribes and villages. And we were seeing whole communities transformed, you know, all, all under the, um, oppression of communism and, uh, and, and spirit worship and, um, and so just seeing God's kingdom advance like that and how simple it was. And it just brought me to repentance. I mean, I was, I was brought to tears and repentance because I was deeply convicted that, um, I wasn't obeying Jesus in the area of, of the great commission of, of impacting lostness. And, um, the worst part of that was, was that the students and their families that were following my leadership were disobeying Jesus because they were following me. Um, we didn't see anybody come to Christ and we didn't see any students lead others to Christ. And so I felt like that was, I was discipling disobedience and uh, that brought me to repentance. And, um, and then at, you know, God's grace shortly after the repentance, I had just absolute clarity of what I was supposed to do. Um, you know, taking the 10 years of, of mentoring and discipling, I thought, okay, I, I, I had an idea of what to do next. So you're a quick learner. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's all of us. <laughs> Only 10 years. Yeah. Um, but then God led us back. You know, I came back from that trip and uh, began to, to practice locally here. I think that was really the key is just, you just got to start doing it. Just start obeying Jesus. And it helped to have some, some tools and, uh, some coaching. Um, and, and we started to see some exciting fruit. This was in Indianapolis where I grew up and, you know, students, um, making disciples and, and, and multiplying and, and the other disciples and seeing some of the, the parents in our student ministry program beginning to reach out and lead their friends and family to Christ and disciple them and started to see some disciples and groups multiply and saw some pastors, you know, in town. One guy, uh, Gary Stump started a church in Indianapolis that uh, began to see some fruit of multiplication. And so we saw within a few months as we were training people um, that, man, the harvest was plentiful and um, God was just waiting to release. So that, that was a big shift for us. And um, so, so it sounds like you were going in a completely one direction. You were, you were planning on becoming a doctor. Yeah. Um, what happened? Was there something spectacular that took place while you were in college where you're just like, man, that looked too hard. I'm going to do something else. Or, uh, did, did God call you in a specific way to get out of that, that path and into the new one? Yeah. Yeah. Let's just be clear. I would not have been number one in the class. I would have been the last guy <laughs> in. Um, it was, uh, but that wasn't it. Um, it was when I was, you know, I, my parents came to faith when I was young and, um, through a, a person of peace in our house and our, and our family, our whole family came to faith. And so I grew up in a Christian home and grew up in church and Christian school. And I went to a Christian college at Liberty university, but it wasn't until after I graduated college that summer, I went on a, a mission trip with my wife, her family served in Japan. And, um, that, that was the first time in my life when I actually saw God use me 
in ministry. I'd never been in a position to um, to share the gospel or to serve, and and um, I loved it. I mean, I was just like, I can't believe God could use me, and let alone you know among among lost people. And uh, so that was what began, um, you know, the next year just really kind of wrestling with God when I was in grad school. Um, that I finally just surrendered. It's like, yeah, I, w- I want to do this for a living. I, I want to do this full time. I want to, I want to serve you, Lord, full time. Well, you so you talk about full time ministry, vocational ministry. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'd like you to just touch on maybe some of the challenges because I know, um, I think a lot of people probably have a desire that they'd like to be in vocational ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I'm fairly certain that we can be we can work a regular work day and still um, be oh, ministers yeah. for God. But there's something special about vocational ministry. Can you maybe uh, touch on how uh, was there a point where it was like, man, I don't know if we can do this, raise the funds, that sort of thing. And how did that kind of uh, unfold? And it, it looks like God absolutely answered a prayer there and and made it something that was sustainable. How did that take place? Yeah, well, I'll just I want to clarify that I think people should really press on in their bivocational roles if they can until they've got so much ministry in front of them they need to transition. I've right. a lot of fruitful bivocational people out there. And I think that's something people need to hear, so I'm yeah. glad that you mentioned that. Yeah, I mean, God's using a lot of people in the workplace where they're at, and we've got a whole host of them down here in South Florida, and they're the ones, honestly, really leading the charge. And uh, we're just here to, to help catalyze and to serve those people. But um, I was a... I was a paid on staff at a church for 12 years, but then when we transitioned into support-based ministry as, as full-time um, and a missionary role, uh, where it wasn't a, a paid staff position, yeah, it, it was um, it was a, a challenge. I think it was a, a test of faith, um, especially when you're serving in the United States. I mean, when we went over to Japan first, we, we, went, we transitioned from local church over to um, missions in Japan for a year where we we, you know, we worked with Japanese pastors and trained them in how to multiply disciples. And that was actually a lot easier, raising support to go over to Japan. But it's been more of a challenge, I think, when you're raising support full-time in the United States. Yeah. And um, Why do you think that is? Um, I think just, um, you know, it's, it's, in, it's in our backyard here. And I, I think it was difficult to believe that we would need to support missionaries here in the United States when there's so many churches and so many ministries and, and, uh, you know, I mean, obviously the God's heart is for the nations. Uh, but we're, we're at a time now where there are, are the, the nations are coming to us and a lot of unreached people groups are coming here. And so I think just helping cast a vision and building a case that there's a need for full-time laborers here, uh, in the U S. And so we, we try to do that with our supporters. Now, now, Troy, it sounds like there's a methodology. I know there is a methodology behind uh, what you're doing. Could you maybe go into a little bit of detail about what that is and uh, how that works and what uh, parts of the population that you guys go after? Yeah. Um, well, I think <laughs> fundamentally we're striving to obey the Great Commission. And Jesus telling us to go and make disciples and baptize them and teach them to obey Jesus. And so we we strive to do that ourselves, but then equip other believers, brand new and, and longtime believers, to consider, you know, who in their life is far from God and to pray for them. And then how do you share the gospel with somebody? And then if they believe, how do you disciple them? How do you help them obey Jesus, including the Great Commission? And then, and then, and then those new believers go and reach others, and you help them gather into a, a community, a small group or a church, 
to begin to, you know, grow in Christ as a community that will turn around and, and do the same thing, uh, you know, to see multiplication of disciples and groups and churches. And so there's, um, you know, church planning movements and disciple making movements are, are some strategies. Um, we, we specifically utilize uh, the, the four field strategy that was developed by uh, Jeff Sundell and Nathan Shank and Jared Hauk in India. And they're utilizing um, the, the T for T um, discipleship model from that Ying and Grace Kai developed in China. And so we've, we've learned a lot from uh, people like them and, um, and we're part of a, a network of, of missionary trainers in North America called the No Place Left Network that Jeff Sundell has kind of pioneered and, and we are, we, we are failing forward here, but we're, we're taking that, the four fields T for T process and adapting it for the UX context just by, you know, by utilizing it and, and tweaking it. And, and, uh, we're seeing some really exciting things among all different types of people groups, um, in, in multiple cities. Um, I think there's at least 27 cities for sure that we know of, um, where we're seeing fourth generation growth of churches and disciples. And it's a lot of different people groups, um, a lot of different, you know, upper class, middle class, lower class. Um, it's, it's, we're seeing fruit among everyone that we're engaging. Well, Troy, I appreciate what you guys are doing, and I'm kind of like the strategy whiteboard guy, so I really appreciate what you guys are doing. <laughs> awesome. um, but I want to make sure that we, we make the rubber hit the road also. Do you have like just a really neat example of how your ministry has really impacted um, an individual or a group of individuals and really brought glory to God? Mm. Well, yeah, man, there's, I mean, God is, he's doing a lot, so he gets, obviously we give him glory in that. Um, I think one of the more encouraging examples was um, one of the first weeks that we were here in South Florida. We're in the city of Stewart. Um, there was a, a part of town that is um, really underserved. And uh, and so it's, it's a poor part of town. There's a lot of poverty there. And, um, and so my nephew, Braden, and I, he's 18. We went out prayer walking one day and um, just literally went door-to-door door asking how we could pray for some people. And we came upon one couple named uh, Floyd and Annie. And Floyd asked us to, to pray for him. He had cancer. And so we, we prayed for Floyd. And, and then I, um, we just started casting vision that God wanted to reach their community. There's a lot of drugs and violence and problems in their, in their neighborhood. And, and, um, and Floyd said, yeah, I believe that. Um, I, I, I want to see God use me. Um, I just don't know what to do. So uh, we shared the gospel and he repented and believed and, and then began to train Floyd. And this guy, has, he's battling cancer and, um, you know, he and his wife are, um, you know, so they've got a lot going on in their lives. But um, he discovered not only, um, you know, life in Christ, you know, coming to faith, but seeing God use him. And he immediately went out and began to to share with some of the drug dealers and his wife began prayer walking in their community and, and just came alive as they saw God use them and, and God expanded his kingdom through them. And, uh, he got to a point one day where he just said, um, if God gave me cancer to get my attention, um, because, because he wanted to use me in this way, it was worth it. And, um, and he just a few months ago went to be with Jesus, but to see this man was just waiting in the harvest um, for somebody to, to share Jesus with him and show him how to reach 
his community and, and he did it up until up until he passed away you know he was serving jesus it's a great story i love it not only does god redeem us but he can also redeem time as well Amen. I think a lot of people feel like it's too far gone for them, mm. and, and it's amazing what he can do in a very mm. little short time. Mm. Um, you've mentioned a couple times uh, the catalyst for you to really um, kind of enjoy the ministry that God gave you was going out and giving it a shot. Yeah. And it sounds like it was the same for Floyd, who we just talked about. It was mm. his opportunity to actually take a step and give it a shot. That's right. Um, what do you think? What do you think it is? Especially, it sounds like in the Western Church, that slows people. And they they, they kind of get stuck in the pews and and forget that uh, there's a mission field to engage in. What do you think it is that's that's hindering people? Mm. Well, yeah, the statistic is that 98 percent of Christians in the United States do not share their faith, and uh, when we live in a, a place like we live in South Florida with 96 percent unchurched, that's problematic. And as we've, you know, equipped a lot of Christians, uh, we've discovered a lot of people, I think they don't, I mean, they have a, uh, a conviction they're supposed to do something, but um, I think it's easy to kind of delegate that over in their minds to, to the pastors or to the leaders or the ministry professionals. And um, so I think a part of it is just a, not having a sense of identity or ownership that God wants to use them as an ambassador, like we read in Second Corinthians 5. Um, so I think just identity, you know, are, are you supposed to do this? Um, I, we discover a lot of people, they, you know, they've read the great commission, but they didn't realize that that applied to them personally, that, that they're supposed to make disciples means they are supposed to share the gospel with others. Um, and I think a lot of people just, they don't know how. And so we try to, with our training, remove those, you know, of why, because of the great commission and God's glory and, um, you know, help them identify who to share with and, and then how to, um, you know, how to do it. And um, so I, I think it's, um, at, at fundamentally, I think it's a discipleship problem. Like what I, what I was, um, I guess the, the, <laughs> the bad discipleship that I was leading, um, I was not discipling people that were following me to make disciples themselves. And so I think that there's, in our in our context in the U.S., uh, people will come to faith in Jesus, but they're not discipled, and so I think it's fundamentally a discipleship problem. Okay, now you you bring up the the discipleship term, and um, I know the Bible does a good job of um, breaking that down, but I think a lot of people it's kind of a fuzzy term to them. Mm. Um, is there a way that you try to help people better grasp what it is to be a disciple? Yeah, I mean, look at the Great Commission. You know, a disciple um, goes and makes disciples and baptizes and teaches people to obey Jesus. And I think that's the that's the bottom line. That last part is is teach people to obey Jesus's commands, not just know, but to obey. And um, you know, I think we have a lot of passing on of good information through preaching and teaching and writing, and but you know that often doesn't necessarily translate to obedience. You've got to really walk with people and see that they they only not only do they know what to do but that they're actually taking the steps of obedience and so i think that's the core heart of discipleship is is helping people obey jesus uh, Troy, i i uh, have the privilege of being able to uh, watch your ministry unfold on facebook it's amazing what technology allows us to do mm. um, and one of the things that i admire about your ministry is the way that you involve your entire family in it 
Mm. Um, I was wondering if you could uh, just go into, you know, the way that you and your wife's um, relationship, how it strengthens the ministry, and and mm. uh, maybe how uh, you have quite a few kids. Um, maybe you can go into talking about uh, the age range where you re- really were able to get your kids engaged in um, uh, what it is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and, and how that transition has gone. Yeah. Well, my wife and I have a really healthy uh, relationship thanks to Jesus. Um, we, in our first three years, we, there was a lot of, of strain. I was wrestling with a lot of selfishness and, and uh, you know, by God's grace, he brought me to repentance and we've We've grown in that, and uh, so we we are a, a solid team. We spend a lot of time together. Um, we pray together. We're in the Word together, and so we we're very intentional um, to serve together. Uh, when I was a uh, a youth pastor, um, I think it it was more difficult for us to to serve together. And um, but when we went over to Japan um, a few years ago. Um, the Lord really taught me um, through my kids that he wanted us to do this as a family. Um, you know, like I would go out and go prayer walking and, and uh, engaging lost people. And, and one day my wife said, uh, hey, why don't you take the boys? And they were, I think we're like seven and, and eight at the time. And uh, so I'm like, oh, okay. I, and, I, and as they're out prayer walking with me, their prayers were legitimate prayers. I mean, these were the... These boys were going to school with Buddhists every day, so they had more of a heart for lostness there than I did. And um, and so I discovered, wow, God God really wants to use these guys. And then we did a training about a year later, and uh, the kids came, and, and they were supposed to just kind of help out with the check-in. And and then God, um, you know, they sat through the training, and, uh, and when we took people out to go share the gospel, um, my kids uh, broke away on their own and went and, and shared the gospel and uh, that really surprised me because I, I was trying to keep them from that, you know, and, and then they're like, Dad, we, we want to go and, and share ourselves. I'm like, no, you guys are going to like start a cult or something. You don't, <laughs> you don't know what you're doing. And, and, uh, but they did. They, I walked with them and they, they led people to Christ and, and uh, I've seen them do it here, you know. So we, we do this as a family. We go out and harvest together. They, they help lead trainings with us. We never, um, I never force them in to do that kind of thing. Um, but I let them know the opportunities and they've, um, you know, they've, uh, you ask ages. My oldest daughter is 11, Maya. My son Malachi is 10. My son Isaiah is eight. My daughter Tessa is six. My daughter Lucy is four. And then Ezra is seven months old. And, um, but they, um, you know, they've led trainings for, for children's ministries. And Malachi just led a training at First Baptist West Palm with me last week. We had a, 130 adults there and he's training people how to share the gospel. And, uh, so it's, it's just part of their DNA. Um, we, um, <laughs> one day, uh, they, you know, we teach them pray for, you know, people, places, and passions who are the people in your life, the places you're at, what passions has God given you and, and pray for those regularly. And so they, they are praying for their skate park. Um, and, uh, and we we're driving there one day and I say, I said, Hey guys, what's your goal today? My Isaiah and Malachi and, Malachi, he said, oh, I, I want to see two people come to Christ. And I, I meant like skating goals. And he, <laughs> I was like, oh, wow, okay, well, we got to pray, man. So we prayed, and then we got there, and they skated for about an hour. And and then he goes up to this middle school kid. He's like three years older than him. I watched it. I was like, oh, here he goes. And uh, he just said, he just started a conversation with this kid and shared the gospel with him. And 
the kid repented and believed, and then immediately Malachi trained the kid uh, how to share with his his dad, who was far from God, and prayed with him. And um, so, you know, I I see them. This is just part of their their life, and and it's driven by uh, the love for Jesus. I mean, we um, our kids every morning spend time in the Word, and um, most evenings we spend time, of, you know, like a short time of family worship. Um, we learned that from a family up in Canada. And so it starts with a daily abiding, you know, a personal relationship with Jesus. And then um, I think just we spend time out in the harvest regularly, either prayer walking or engaging lostness. And it just it spills over into their lives. You know, a lot of the things that you're talking about require a person to really be engaged in community. Mm. And I'm wondering, is that something that you've learned over time? I feel like the Western... Um, mindset is kind of a lone ranger even in the church lone ranger christianity and mm. and i'm pretty confident that that doesn't work very well mm. um, but because it's so ingrained into our culture how was that something that you had to learn or is it just your natural personality that you guys are have always been deeply engaged in the lives of um your your community uh no i mean i think especially if you're in full-time ministry sadly enough in the u.s you you spend so much time you know, with, with believers that you can be easily disengaged. Um, and, uh, so I think it does, you do become very isolated and, uh, but you know, we, as we've come down here, we, um, I think community is a product of the gospel. And, uh, so we're very intentional down here to, um, you know, spend time, you know, our, our, our kids go to public school. And so we're very active in the school and, um, you know, we're, my my wife volunteers every week at the school and we just, we take time to get to know people. And so, um, you know, we've, we've chosen to, uh, just immerse ourselves in the community here. And, um, but then the fruit of the gospel is the, you know, the people that we're doing life with, whether believers or, or even our unbelieving neighbors, um, you know, we've got a rich community as a result of that. Yeah. Now, I'm sure you've probably thought of, no, what if I didn't take this course? What if I had continued down the medical course or, you know, <laughs> uh, not not listen to God's calling it, you into the ministry? Um, how would you say, how would you define living on mission and, and mm. kind of based on, you know, what I just said, what if you didn't go that direction? How would your life be different? How has living on mission impacted your life? Hmm. Oh, man. I mean, it's... It's, it's the best. Um, it's, uh, it, it, it drives us. I don't know if it's a, a unique calling for us specifically in, in our role as kind of apostolic, little a apostolic catalyst, but um, we can't not do this. Um, we, uh, we, we wake up every morning and, and this is on our hearts and we go to sleep every night and it's on our hearts and, um, and we haven't always lived on mission. I mean, I think even when I I was called into into ministry, um, I, I think we've only been living on mission for a few years. Where I really feel like we've been, you know, living out the Great Commission. Um, but it is. Uh, but I've I've seen other people that, um, you know, here that are not. It's not their full time job to do this, but they're living on mission. Uh, some teachers. Uh, there's a, a business guy that you know manages a hedge fund. Um, there's all different types of folks that it's not their full-time job, but they're living on mission and it's, it's life, man. I mean, it's my, my 11 year old, actually tonight we were at a training at the church and, 
and we were talking about, you know, um, you know, just how tough it is for people to start sharing. And, and she made the comment that when we came back from Japan and I, she started to be equipped to share the gospel, she said, I really felt like I was experiencing, uh, my faith in a real way because I was obeying Jesus in that way and really engaging in his mission. And, um, I thought that was interesting, that observation from an 11-year-old, that she, she'd been a Christian for five years at the time, and but it was when she started living on mission and living out the Great Commission that she really experienced um, just the fullness of that. Yeah. Um, now, as we kind of transition to uh, wrap this up, mm. you know, there's a lot of, I think, people out there and probably some people listening um, who would, you know, they in their minds they would like to live life on mission, and they just they don't know how to get started. Mm. Um, for that person, do you have maybe some resources um, that might help them uh, be a catalyst behind them to get them mm. get them up and going and seeing what God has for their lives? Yeah, uh, we've got a we've got a lot of, of good um, articles and, and books and just some helpful tools on our website at coopersonamission.com in the uh, in the resource section. It's all free. Um, but I mean, if I had five minutes with somebody, I'd just say, I'd take them to second Corinthians five, 17 to 21, just remind them that, um, they're new in Christ, the point they chose to follow Jesus in verse 17. And, and the reason why is, is verse 21, it's all Jesus. That exchange happened at your point of faith. He traded all your sin for his righteousness and that's all Jesus. So you can't mess it up. Um, but then the main reason why Jesus did that is if you look in verses 18 to 20 of Second Corinthians 5, it says, God is on mission to reconcile the world to himself. And he wants to use you as his ambassador. And he's entrusted you with a ministry and a message. And so that's, that's your identity. And um, we need to live that out. And uh, I would tell him next, you know, just make a list of a few people in their life that are far from God and begin to pray for them. And, uh, and then, you know, learn how to share the gospel. I mean, one of the simplest ways to share the gospel is just through your testimony, you know, keep it short, keep it sweet and talk about how Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave for our sins. And that if we believe in him and turn from our sin, we can have, be forgiven and have life, uh, eternal life. Um, and I, that's the simplest way I think to get them started is, um, identify some lost people and practice sharing and then go do it. <laughs> you know, Ying Kai says, uh, pray, keep it simple, just go do it. And uh, that would, I would give that same advice. Amen. Well, we got some bookworms out there. Do you have any must read books that you're like, man, if you're, you got to read this book. Is there anything outside of the Bible? Of course, is yeah. there any, any, any the must Bible, read book out there? Yeah. Charlie, the yeah. Bible. It's all in the Bible. Um, yeah. In addition to the Bible, or as you're reading your Bible, because you'll find the Bible in a lot of these books. Um, the Four Fields of Kingdom Growth by Nathan Shank. It's uh, it's more of like a training manual, and it just kind of walks you through um, in the discovery mode of just how to how to engage lostness in, in a way that multiplies. Um, you know, uh, Church Planning Movements by David Garrison is a has a really Exciting books as far as principles and what God's doing around the world. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd highly recommend Steve Addison's blog, movements.net. And uh, he's got uh, a number of books. Um, you know, What Jesus Started is his most recent book, which outlines a lot of the process that we've 
been talking about. And um, anything that George Patterson writes, um, you know, his his book uh, Church Multiplication Guide is uh, is phenomenal. So there's a lot of and, and those you'll you'll have principles, you'll have stories, and uh, you'll have tools that help you get started. At noplaceleft.net is a a blog that's got a lot of resources and, and stories on there about what God's doing specifically in the U.S. I'd like to just ask, what can uh, we be praying for you and your ministry about? Mm. Yeah, thank you, Charlie. Um, yeah, as we've come down to South Florida and, and, and seen the lostness here, our, our hearts are broken. There is um, a lot of need here um, spiritually. And um, this summer specifically from from June to August, we're, we're I'm on a travel freeze <laughs> And uh, we are just focusing our efforts on getting the gospel out uh, to our the three counties that are down here that we're directly connected to, and and so I think just pray for us, um, just that we would uh, find the laborers that are in the harvest down here, and uh, that God would would spark a movement, just like we're seeing in India and China and all over, even in the U.S. that it would happen down here, and um, and as we do that, just pray for protection for spiritual protection for us and our team and our family and we've already seen a lot of backlash in the form of deaths or illnesses and all kinds of crazy stuff going on and so i mean pray for pray for movement but also pray for protection for us as we're engaging is there any way i don't know if you ever have teams outside of florida come in to work with you guys who maybe a group of people that'd like to see what it looks like to be on mission that joined you or do you guys do that type of stuff yeah absolutely we do um, in fact, this summer is a really good time. We're hosting um, teams, and we've got, I mean, available weeks for people that they want to come down as an individual or as a group. Uh, we would love to use them. Uh, we'd, we'd train them and help get them out in the harvest. And so it would both equip them for where they're at, but, man, it would really help us as we're trying to, you know, get the gospel out. So for, for those out there that might be interested in that, what would be the best way to get a hold of you? Yeah, the best way is just contact me at my email, troy.cooper at e3partners.org. All right, perfect. Well, let's close this thing up. Uh, I'll I'll close it down in prayer. Okay. Father, we come before you uh, thankful for this time that we've been able to spend together, Lord. For anyone who's listening, who this has sparked an interest in their hearts, God, we pray that you would uh, to uh, continue to to fan that flame and to... uh, move them to actually take that step of faith uh, to reach out into the lostness, like Troy said, and and to be comfortable sharing the gospel and and uh, to experience uh, people repenting and receiving the life that's in Christ. I uh, pray want to lift up South Florida, God, specifically the areas that uh, uh, Troy and his ministry have a sphere of influence over, Lord, and just ask for you to move mightily, that you'd go before them and that you'd prepare the hearts of those people, soften their hearts, um, and put them in a position where they're ready to repent of their sins and to receive your free gift. And Lord, I just uh, I ask for protection over um, the whole ministry team down there, Lord, uh, specifically Troy and his family. I thank you that you've uh, given a servant's heart to both uh, Troy and his wife and, and his children, God. I pray that you'd really wrap your arms around his children and and put them in a, a position where they can just really absorb everything that you're doing and that they're growing and that they'll be used in very mighty ways to impact your kingdom and to live life on purpose, on mission, and to experience uh, the joy that you've set before us. And 
um, just really appreciate what you're doing uh, through Troy and through the ministry. And I uh, just can't wait to see how you're going to impact people and take them from hopelessness to hope in you. So we thank you for this time. We raise it up in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. We pray you've been engaged, encouraged, and equipped to more fully live out God's mission plan for your life. Don't forget to follow and share us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash missionmatters.org and sign up for our newsletter at missionmatters.org. Until next time, may you live passionately on mission for the glory of God.